Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning, the well-known account of Zacchaeus, which is not just meant to have given us a really famous children's song, but is meant to stir up our souls to worship the Lord Jesus and understand more of his grace and more of his glory and more of his love. And so I want us to look together at Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 10. And I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me. Uh, Here, Luke, who is giving us what he says is a sure word, a certain account of things that have happened, gives us, and he is the only one of the gospel authors that gives us this account. There's something he is keenly interested in, which is why he is giving us what Matthew, Mark, and John do not give us um, in order to bolster a central theme running through his gospel, which we'll see this morning, which is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's embedded in this passage. That's the burden of Luke's heart, is to show us the sinner-seeking and saving Savior. And so as we consider that together, Luke now writes, He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, 19 years ago today, uh, the Lord brought me to saving faith and repentance. Um, I was, uh, I had grown up in a Christian home. I had gone into the far country when I was a teenager, and I had departed from everything my parents had taught me, and I'd run as far and as fast to the world as I could. And at 23 years old, I was in a place of incredible spiritual darkness and despair and desperation, and The morning of October 11th, 2001, the Lord gave me a new heart, brought me to repentance, convicted me of my sin, showed me my need for his blood, everything I had been taught as a child. He came and he made a reality in my soul. Um, I couldn't, as a young Christian, sing many hymns without starting to, to tear up over the mercy God had had on me. But that hymn especially, Come Thou Fount, where um, that line says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Used to cut me deep to the heart. Jesus sought me when a stranger. I wasn't seeking the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, uh, whether you have a different testimony than I do, it is true for you as, as well that none of us by nature seek the Lord. None of us 
None of us by nature desire the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to take the initiating step of seeking us in order to bring us to saving faith. And that's one of the beautiful things that we get throughout the scriptures, and especially in the cameos and the gospels and those encounters that Jesus has with uh, individuals who are either beset by great physical infirmities, which serve as a picture of their spiritual infirmities, or who are themselves deep and dark in notorious sin. And yet these are the people that Jesus came into the world to seek and to save. Um, it's totally unexpected. It's totally not what the world would say about a savior. Um, and here in this account, Luke's giving us this beautiful picture. Now, if I could just set the context of this before we look at it in depth, but Luke has been weaving into his account all of these preparatory teachings about Jesus and cameos of Jesus in order that we would see that he came into the world to seek and save. Remember back in chapter 15, Luke gives the three parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And and he tells us of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes out after the one to bring home the one wandering sheep. And, and then we have these beautiful pictures of Jesus um, doing these very things in, in saving individuals throughout the Gospels. But then we come to chapter 18, right before this, and Jesus gives the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and it's a shocking story because Jesus is essentially saying everything that the religious leaders in Israel thought that, that they had, they really didn't have. And those that knew that they had nothing got salvation. That the Pharisee went home unjustified because of his pride and his self-righteousness and all of his religiosity. And the tax collector who was so hated, that one went home redeemed and covered and forgiven and justified before God when he couldn't even lift up his eyes to God. And so Luke has been weaving into the fabric of his gospel record all of these things so that we would be prepared for what happens in this account. Um, I want us to see two things this morning. First, I want us to consider the seeking of Zacchaeus, and then I want us to consider the finding of Zacchaeus, the seeking of Zacchaeus and the finding of Zacchaeus. Well, you all know, I'm sure, that Pharisees were not, I'm sorry, publicans, tax collectors were not popular people in Israel. Um, their, their job was to serve an oppressive foreign power and to take as much from the people of God as they possibly could, even though they themselves were many times, like Zacchaeus, an Israelite, among the covenant people and, and beyond taking as much as they could from the people of God for a foreign oppressing power, Rome, uh, tax collectors would then extort on top of that for themselves. And, and here we're told that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and that he was very rich. And, and you don't have to be that smart to put together the fact that he is an unprincipled man that in order to become a chief tax collector, you have to be willing to do all kinds of underhanded things in that society in order to get where he got to be a captain over disreputable people 
that were societal outcasts. So much so that whenever the Israelites of Jesus' day wanted to complain about what Jesus was doing, they would tag him as a friend of tax collectors. That was, that was the most demeaning way they could speak about the Redeemer in, in their hatred of him was that this man sits and eats with tax collectors and prostitutes. That's, that's how they tagged Jesus. And I am sure that Zacchaeus had heard that refrain. We, we have to sort of get into Zacchaeus's mind this morning if we can. What was going on in this little man's mind that would lead him to climb up in a sycamore tree to see who Jesus is? He had heard. He had heard about the Savior. Now he's in Jericho. And as Jesus is entering into Jericho, that cursed city that never should have been rebuilt, um, as Jesus is coming in, he's met by that blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the two blind beggars. And, and remember, they cried out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowds try to stop them, and they keep crying out. And then he, he heals Bartimaeus. He redeems Bartimaeus. I'm sure word was traveling into the city what was happening as the Savior was approaching the city. And Zacchaeus was no doubt putting these things together. It's, it's possible. It's altogether likely he had even heard the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That the people were saying, can you believe what this, this, this enthusiastic religious teacher is saying that re- the religious leaders are not going to go to heaven, but, but tax collectors will? And, and perhaps word came to Zacchaeus, and he's, he's pondering this, and he's thinking about his own life. He knows what he is. At the end of this account, he admits what he is. Um, and so there is, in a sense, there is, in a sense, the seeking of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the text says, notice, it says there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was the chief sinner, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, notice that Notice that that, um, that is the point of entry into this passage. You almost get the sense that Zacchaeus really is seeking Jesus, but he's not. He's just curious. You know, there are people in churches, in the world, who are curious about Jesus, but they're not really seeking him for salvation. They, they're just wondering who he is and, and what he's what he's saying, what is this about? Um, what Zacchaeus does is good. It is, on one hand, noble, and we should never discourage people. George Whitfield has a sermon on this where he says, you know, many times people just come to hear preachers out of curiosity. We shouldn't discourage that. On this occasion, one such person gets the salvation he wasn't even himself really looking for. Um, but he's curious. Jesus is very famous here, and and Zacchaeus goes to great lengths to get a glimpse of Jesus. Um, But what's fascinating about this passage in particular, this account, is that there's a hinge. There's a hinge that turns very quickly. 
as Jesus is coming and there's a great crowd of people listening to him and Zacchaeus is there in the tree, the Savior walks right up to where Zacchaeus is. And I've often wondered what Zacchaeus must have been thinking as he sees Jesus coming closer and closer to him. And then Jesus stops under the tree and looks up, calls him by name. There's almost humor here, by the way. (laughs) And says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I'm going to your house. I must stay at your house. Um, what, What must Zacchaeus have thought? Here, the Savior, perhaps prophetically in his human nature, prophetically knows who Zacchaeus is. It's kind of reminiscent of what Jesus said to Nathaniel and when he called his first disciples and he tells Nathaniel before you, you know before you came I saw you under the tree. I saw you meditating and he and he believes and he says, "Oh, if you believe now, wait till you see what's going to happen. The heavens are going to open." Here Jesus goes up to Zacchaeus and he knows exactly who Zacchaeus is. This is the good shepherd. This is beautiful. This is the good shepherd calling his sheep by name. From all eternity, from all eternity, Zacchaeus was given from the father to the son. And the son says, all that the father give me will come to me. I know my own. I call them by name. They follow me. It's beautiful. He walks right up to the most disreputable, wicked, socially outcast, rebellious, notorious sinner. Calls him by name. Doesn't even speak about his sin, which we'll talk about in a moment. And tells him, I must stay at your house. Gerhardus Voss has this incredible quote about Jesus' approach to um, Zacchaeus, he says, Jesus is a savior who seeks the lost, who with eyes supernaturally farsighted. I want you to think about this. Jesus is the savior who seeks the lost, who with eyes supernaturally farsighted discerns us a long way off and draws our interest to himself by the sweet constraint of his grace. That's what's happening between Jesus and Zacchaeus. He has seen him. He has gone to him. He has sought this stranger. You know, this is how Jesus saves all of his people. In whatever different context, whatever different situations are lives, um, there, there's, something, there's something actually unimpressive about the conversion of Zacchaeus. Again, Jesus doesn't he doesn't talk to him at, at length about his sin. Zacchaeus is going to need to hear about his sin. He's going to need to hear the gospel. He's going to need to hear all the things that we need to hear. But at this point, there's something almost unimpressive about the conversion of Zacchaeus. It's, 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 it's almost just a passing, a passing act as the Savior is going to the cross. And yet there's something incredibly impressive about it. Here, Jesus is going out of his way to rescue one, on his way to the place where he will lay down his life for him. Um, Jesus has sought, Jesus has sought the lost. Notice that Luke is going to tell us that at the end, that when Jesus finally brings 
Zacchaeus to a place of redemption and regeneration, notice Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Um, If I can say this this morning, Jesus only saves people who are lost, and everyone is lost, but he only saves people who will come to know that they are lost. There's this really interesting really interesting verse at the end of Psalm 119. I'm sure all of you love reading Psalm 119 because it's 176 verses and just nice little stroll through Psalm 119 and uh, right at the end, and you, you'll miss it because most of you probably don't read through Psalm 119 too often, but right at the very end after David talks about loving God's word and his precepts and his laws and his commandments and how good they are and how much better they are than riches and every side of the glories of God's word, David says, Seek your servant, for I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Did you know that? At the end of 175 verses, in which David talks about how much he loves God's word, David says, Seek your servant, for I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And you almost get the sense that Isaiah is picking up on that in Isaiah 53 when he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own ways. Um, Zacchaeus is lost, and yet the Savior is seeking him. And then secondly, I want to consider with you the finding of Zacchaeus. Now, we're not told in this gospel um, when Zacchaeus was found. We're not told what was the precise moment of his salvation. There are intimations that he perhaps already has a work of grace begun in him as he is up in the sycamore tree, that perhaps the Spirit of God has already begun to work savingly in him. We don't know. We know by the end of this passage that he's redeemed because there is evidence in his life. He, he receives Christ joyfully. He, he, um, he welcomes the Savior into his home. By the way, I would imagine that a greedy extorting, money-loving sinner like Zacchaeus was not reading Rosaria Butterfield's book on hospitality and opening his home very often. I'm just going to go, I think that's an educated guess. He probably, he probably only hung out with other people exactly like him talking about how they could get more money. And so it's very interesting. The way Jesus finds Zacchaeus and bring Zacchaeus to a place of welcoming him, and ultimately the way Jesus extends his grace to Zacchaeus is by, by giving him the opportunity to do what he would never have done otherwise. Think about this. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house. I'm going to be a guest at your house. You're going to do for me what you probably have never done for anyone else. I mean, Zacchaeus is not... Mary and Martha. And Jesus is strategically, in one of only two times I can think of in the gospel records, telling someone he's saving that he wants them to do something for him in order to show them who he is. And that's the woman at the well, the other one, to whom he says, give me a drink. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down and you will welcome me into your house. Um, 
Zacchaeus responds, by the way, immediately. We know that he's been found because he comes down, he does exactly what Jesus says, and he's full of joy. Isn't that awesome? That's his conversion. Now, Sinclair Ferguson says, and this is profound, he says, didn't take any less power for Jesus to save Zacchaeus than it took for him to heal the Gadarene demoniac. I want you to think about that. We look at Jesus healing the Gadarene demoniac and we say, wow. I mean, he cast out a legion of demons. The man is clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What power the Redeemer had to heal him. And yet, Ferguson says, it didn't take any less power for Jesus to redeem Zacchaeus than the Gadarene demoniac. Or you, or me. Now, ultimately, we know that um, we know that Jesus is going to have to do more than just have a meal with Zacchaeus to save him. Um, I'm not sure that Luke does what John does so often, giving us these kind of double entendres where Jesus says something, but you know he means something deeper um, you know, Mary, outside the tomb, she, she thought he was the gardener. Well, he is the gardener. He's the heavenly gardener. Those double entendres. Um, but here, I think Luke may be giving us one. When Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house, he's saying, I must dwell with you. You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Jesus came into the world with one thing as his goal. One. Notice, Jesus says at the end, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Voss again says this, there is no need of asking for the moment when he came. The fact of his coming is sufficient. For this coming means his coming into the world. It covers his entire earthly life. He was born for this purpose and this purpose only. I want you to hear that. Jesus was born, the eternal son, took a human nature to himself, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, became like us, yet without sin, with one purpose and one only, to seek and save the lost. That is the only reason Jesus came into this world. Um, And so when he says to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house, he's saying, I must dwell with you. I must come into your heart. I must now live with you. Your life must be bound up with me together. And and Luke does give us these pictures of the feast. Luke has this, this uh, sort of uh, obsession with Jesus dining with sinners, and, and, and that is caught up, isn't it, into the heavenly dining with Jesus. We're going to take the supper here in just a moment, and... And what is that a picture of? Jesus is coming and he is dining with sinners like us. But what he's doing is he's showing us what he came to do to redeem us, what it costs to redeem us, and what what it will look like to be found by him. I've often thought maybe there's a image here for us when we think about what it would cost Jesus to redeem Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was laden with guilt over his sin. Um, All of us, by the way, 
Somebody once said, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, what, what is going to have to happen? Jesus, and this is beautiful, Jesus is going to have to go up on the tree. And he's going to have to be nailed to the tree. And all of Zacchaeus' sin, and all of your sin, and all of my sin, is going to have to be put on him. And the full wrath of God is going to have to be poured out on him. And you're not going to have to climb up in a tree to see who he is. He's going to be placarded before the whole world. And Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, said, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Every time he is proclaimed as the crucified redeemer, the great substitute for us, he is being the magnet for our souls to go to him, to fly to him, to flee to him, to pour out our hearts in our hopelessness and helplessness before him. I want to ask you this morning um, to really ask yourself, where are you at with regard to Jesus? Um, Have you been sought by him? Has he come after you? And have you been found by him? I mean, those are the two most basic questions and most important questions you could ever ask yourself. Have I really been redeemed by the Savior? Have I really come to him? Um, You know, Zacchaeus' life is going to have evidences of God's sovereign grace. He's going to say, Lord, if I've done this, I'd give back out of all this. That's not what saves him. That's just the fruit that his heart has been set free. Um, Have you seen your need for Christ? Have you seen, and, and let me ask it this way this morning. When you think about the Lord Jesus, do you think about him as a sort of harsh taskmaster that you have to clean yourself up for in order for him to receive you? Or do you think about him as he is in truth, as the one who came into the world to seek and save the lost? Jesus will only save you if you are a filthy sinner. Can I say, I can't say that any more provocatively this morning. Jesus will only save filthy sinners. He doesn't save people that think they're good enough, that they've gone through the religious rituals enough. He saves Zacchaeus. He saves me. He saves you. If you know yourself to be a sinner in need of a Savior who seeks and saves the lost. Then I would say this morning to you all as a congregation, um, your elder prayed this morning for the Lord to make this church to have an evangelistic burden. We should have a heart for the lost. All around us, everywhere, men and women, don't know Jesus. Some of them are curious. Some of them aren't curious. Some of them are very hostile. Some of them are like the people in the crowd. They're, they're very religious, and they, and they hate the idea that there would be a Savior who would save filthy sinners like Zacchaeus. And yet this is the Savior that we are called to tell others about. You know, at the end of the day, there are myriads of people just like Zacchaeus all around us in every sphere in which we walk and the spirit has begun to work in them and they need to hear about the one who came to seek and save the lost. I'd encourage you 
to be praying for opportunities to that end, I'd encourage you to continue marveling at the beauty of the Savior, that he would come and seek and save one like us. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have given your son for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world dark and fallen though it is that you would seek and save sinners like us. Our God, we pray that you would give us a newfound joy in the reality that you have done that for us. If there are any here this morning who have not been found, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would go out after them, that you would... Um, interpose your precious blood for them, that today would be the day of salvation. And we pray that you would make us to be a people who are burdened, Lord Jesus, to see the gospel go forth and to see men and women and boys and girls come to be found by you. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use us to that end. We pray that you would use this congregation. We pray these things in your name. Amen.